Have your Bibles turned to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We will finish out um, chapter 4 this morning. In the mid to late 1800s, there was a famous preacher named Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon is the son and grandson of Puritan pastors. And he'd always struggled with the idea of salvation. Always struggled with um, what he should do to be saved. And how he should act and what he should do. And is very well known and documented that Spurgeon struggled with um, depression early on. And um, struggled with just a lot of darkness in his life early on. And Spurgeon tells the story of the day that he was saved. It was a very snowy, blizzardy day in England, and he was walking to a church service, and it got so, the snow was coming down so heavy that, that he did whatever he could just to get out of the snow, and he, he walks into a Methodist church of all things, and um, he goes into this church and he sits in the back and he recounts that there may have been 12 to 15 people here and the preacher was preaching and he was sitting on the back row and the preacher was preaching out of Isaiah 45 specifically on verse 22 and it says this turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other and Spurgeon record that, that that preacher looked at him in the eye and said, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon would go on to write these words. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which, with, which looks alone to Him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you shall be saved. Yet it was, no doubt, all wisely ordered, and now I can say, ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds of supply, redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Spurgeon would go on to be one of the greatest preachers of all time. In fact, he is labeled the prince of preachers. He was preaching to thousands upon thousands weekly when he passed away in the late 1800s, 1892. Thousands with no microphone, <laughs> but thousands weekly. His sermons would, would be taken and they would be um, written down and they would be printed in the newspaper on a weekly basis and uh, there's story after story about how people would read one of Spurgeon's sermons and 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 come to know the Lord 
Spurgeon is famous for saying that he takes every text in all of Scripture and he makes a beeline to the cross. In fact, there's a story, a well-known story of a woman who bought a bar of soap at the market and went home and unraveled that bar of soap that was covered in a newspaper article and it was one of Spurgeon's sermons and she read that sermon and came to know the Lord. And I tell you that this morning because that should be the picture of all of our lives. Because our aim this morning is this, the church is to demonstrate to the world the transforming love of Jesus. Our life is to demonstrate to the world the transforming love of Jesus. A life that is changed by Jesus should demonstrate to the world all about Jesus. That's your life and my life. And so this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is going to challenge us, and it is a challenge for us. Because this morning he is going to ask you to rearrange your life. He's going to ask you to rearrange your life. And it's tough sometimes, right? 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Stop. <laughs> Command and teach these things. First point right off the bat this morning. We are to teach the world. As believers, we are to teach the world. Command and teach these things. So, so what is Paul referring to when he's writing to this young pastor at the church of Ephesus and says, Command and teach these things. What things? If you haven't been with us, let me, let me give you a quick recap. In chapter 1, Paul's going to tell Timothy in the church at Ephesus, hey, here's what you are to do. You're to combat false teaching by living a life that says, Jesus loves you. And my life is here to teach you that. And, and, and then he's going to go on, he's going to say, hey, here's the gospel. Let me, let me show you. And he's going to say this, I thank, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. Paul says, I, I was deserving of none of it. But let me tell you, because I was deserving of none of it, his grace covered it. Only in Jesus do we find faith. Only in Jesus do we find hope. Only in Jesus do we find joy. And then he's going to go on and chapter 2 and he's going to say hey pray for all people not just for some we are to go before the father for all people the ones we like the ones we don't like the ones that we count our enemies we are to pray for all people and he's going to give us some instructions about how the church should operate and he's going to give us some qualifications of overseers and of deacons and 
But, but what we learned in that is that Paul's really saying this should be the description of all believers. We are to live our lives that are above reproach. And, and in our society, really above perception, right? Because don't we live in a culture that perception is reality? We are to live our life that way as believers. And Paul says this. Remember, command and teach these things. This is what Paul's referring to. All of the things I've said before, Timothy, these are the things you are to command and teach. And then we heard from Ricky where he laid out the gospel and said, hey, here's the mystery of godliness. That we're to walk in the gospel. That we are going to walk and proclaim with our whole life. Not just in this building. Look, one of my biggest fears as a pastor is that we are more concerned with how we act in this building than we are how we act outside of this building. Man, that's scary, church. When we're more concerned with how prim and proper we are in here and less concerned with how we treat people out there. Paul says, command and teach these things. And then he gets in chapter 4 and he says, hey, look, here's some, here's some false teaching and this is how you combat it. Live a life that says, hey, I, this is what is truth. My truth is not based upon my opinion or the culture's opinion. Truth is based upon God's word. And this is where we will dwell. This is where we will be. And Paul tells this young preacher, Timothy, command to teach these things. We, church, are to teach the world these things by how we live our lives by how we live our lives Sutton goes to preschool at First Baptist um, Church here in Burleson their little preschool she goes there five days a week and um, uh, the other day she came home and um, she said daddy I said what I got to get in the treasure box today I said you did please pray tell why child I need to know <laughs> she's like daddy at snack time, this little boy wanted to sit by this little boy, but I was in between them. I said, okay. She said, so I got up and I moved over and I let this little boy sit next to this little boy. It's like, that was awesome, baby. I'm so proud of you. She said, yeah, dad. We call it loving like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you do, baby. And, and but just in that moment, I, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks as not only as a parent, but, but as a believer. Isn't that to be the description of every single one of us? That we get to get in the treasure box of God's word every day because we get to love like Jesus. We get to love this world like Jesus. May that be an accusation of you and me every single day that we get caught loving like Jesus. Because we are finding all of our hope and all of our joy in Him. That every day we're spending time with Him. And so out of the overflow and the abundance of what He's doing in my own life, then comes out this just natural flow of going, I love you. <laughs> Let me take care of you. Right? 
That's what that looks like. That's what it looks like for us to teach the world who Jesus is. Paul's going to go on. He's going to say this in verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then he's gonna, we're gonna skip down to verse 15 because I want you to see this. So, so first he says, let no one despise you, but set an example, right? But then he's, verse 15 says, practice these things. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. And so we, then he tells us to demonstrate to the world demonstrate to the world that that we teach the world with our life but we also demonstrate to the world how we live look your life should look different than that of an unbeliever you should make decisions differently than the world says you should make them because you are finding your joy in christ Because you were so in tune with the Spirit that you can feel the Spirit tell you this way or that way. Even when the world says this way and the Spirit says that way, we go with the Spirit instead of the world because we're so in tune with Him. We're to demonstrate to the world. Well, when when Paul says here that we should set an example, um, this Greek word here um, is the word for pattern. And I love that, and, and here's why I love that, is because patterns are consistent, aren't they? Any math teachers in here? None? Awesome. Good. I'm glad, because probably get an argument after this, right? But listen, um, patterns are a good thing. How many of you like consistency? Consistency rhythm like i like to be like you know the the everyday right yeah we do we all kind of like the boundaries the consistency of things right patterns are good for us and that's why i love this greek word here that that means patterns and paul says an ex- we we translated example um but it's a it's a pattern because it communicates consistency and so when paul tells timothy this right first he's going to say hey let no one despise you for your youth and we've we've hammered that text to death in 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 youth ministry right we've hammered that text to death and and it's good right but what what is paul saying here it's like hey paul by paul just nature naturally saying um let no one despise you for your youth he's probably referring timothy Historically, we kind of know Timothy was somewhere between the ages of, of 14 to like 22 when he started pastoring the church at Ephesus. Any of you have any 14 to 22-year-olds? You're like, yeah, I'll throw them at a church and they get to lead it. Nobody? Okay, good. Yeah, right, well, like, but, but Paul's encouragement here to Timothy is like, hey, here's the deal. There are a lot of people older than you in the church, but that doesn't mean that you can't lead them because here's how you should lead them. And Paul's focus here is not about Timothy's age as much as it is about his pattern of his life. And so then he goes on, he says, hey, set your pattern, set the example in in these things. He's going to say first in speech, what you say to others and how you say it matters. I'm going to say it again. 
for those in the back. What you say and how you say it matters. The tone in which you use with someone matters. The words you choose when you speak to someone matters. I was in our Walmart neighborhood market last week. Briggs was with me. I stopped an employee who was stocking a shelf. I said, hey, I need help finding an item. And she stopped, and she was polite, and she was kind, and she was trying to find the item for me. And I was very appreciative of it. And around comes the corner another employee that apparently had authority or perceived that they did have authority and looks at this young woman and says, what are you doing? Why aren't you right here? And, and the young woman was very kind, very polite and said, I, I'm, I'm stalking and I'm helping this customer. Well, you need to get over here right now and you need to go do this. And, and I could read this young woman's face of, of, of just sheer defeat and she stopped and she took off and and my eight-year-old son looked up and said daddy that was rude i said you're right son because how we say things and what we say matters i don't care if it's in your job i don't care if it's in your home i don't care where it is how you say things and what you say matters and Paul tells Timothy, set a pattern for your life in your speech, how you speak to people. Let's do it, church. He also says, set a pattern in your conduct, how you interact with others, how you interact with other believers, how you interact with unbelievers, how you interact with people. How does your life matter? How do you conduct yourself? Are you kind? Are you, are you one of those people, like, when you go in the store, you're like, I got one thing to get, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get out, and, I'm gonna, and I ain't talking to nobody, and I ain't saying anything to nobody, and we in and we out. How many of you? Oh, come on, be honest. There are some of you in here. I know some of you, right? <clears throat> I've seen some of you and waved at you, and you were like, like, guess they don't want to talk to the preacher today. Right? <laughs> I'm just playing. Right? We, we do that sometimes. We get, we get stuck in our kind of our, our world and we got to get our things done and we got to, right? Well, the reality is, is that how we conduct ourselves matters. Because when we conduct ourselves in such a way that says, I find joy in Jesus, I want to treat people well, and I want to bring joy to other people's lives as much as I possibly can. But he's going to also say that set your, um, set your pattern of your life in love. Um, this is the Greek word agape here. Um, it is a benevolent kind of love, a love that we give away, <laughs> right? A love that we get give away. I, we put out a we put out a um, a need um, Friday, and 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 church. Can I just thank you for being the church? 
you have been overwhelming in your kindness and your generosity. Um, and we are going to be able to help um, this woman and her child for, for probably the next couple of months at least. Um, and we're approaching that from a lot of different angles. Um, but, but thank you, thank you, thank you. If you still want to help, you can. Um, we, we've got some food restrictions, and, and, and we're going to let you know about some of those in an email tomorrow. Um, a, a full email will go out saying, hey, here's what you can bring. Here's, here's wh how we're handling this. Uh, we're putting some organization to it. We don't want to overwhelm them, um, but we are going to love them through a tough season of life. But how we love matters, and how we set our pattern of our life in that matters. But then he's going to go also, also say this, set your pattern for this in faith. <laughs> and that you, this is our, our confidence and belief in God. Is that as we grow as believers, we have more confidence and more belief in him and who he says he is. Right? Because the more that I am in tune with God, the more that I spend time in the truth of God's word, guess what happens? I become more confident in the faithfulness and goodness of God. Because I've seen himself prove himself over and over and over again. Some of you sitting in this room right now have seen God prove himself in ways that I will never know. And I am thankful for it. Because I have watched your faithfulness. And it is encouraging to my heart. But we set a pattern in our life that says, I will have faith. Also this, in purity... This is where we get our word, our English word, hygiene from. <laughs> How we keep ourselves, right? But, but what Paul's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, your private life matters. It does. How you handle yourself when no one else is watching. What you do when no one else is watching. is shaping you to be more like Jesus or less like Jesus. If you don't think what you do when no one else is watching matters, it does. I'll challenge you in this way. In your private time, when no one else is at wrong, wrong, around, spend time with Jesus and see how it affects when people are around. And see what happens it matters and Paul says hey set your pattern of your life this way there's going to be a quote on the on the screen I believe it's from Dallas Willard from his book The Great Omission and it simply says this the disciple is one who intent upon becoming Christ like and so dwelling in his faith and practice systematically and progressively rearranges his affairs to that end. He basically saying this is that as a follower of Christ, we are to systematically and progressively over time rearrange our whole life so that we look more like Jesus. How many of you can say that over, since the time that I came to know Jesus, that I have systematically and progressively rearranged my life so that I look more like Jesus? Or how many of you would say that I have, since I come to know Jesus, I have pretty much still continually done what I wanted to do? Because that's a disciple. Someone who says, I'm going to rearrange my life so that I look more like 
Jesus. Church, that's how we demonstrate to the world who Jesus is, is that we rearrange our life to look more like Jesus. And then the last thing Paul's going to say, and then we'll be done. He's going to say this in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which is given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. And then verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself, on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, preach the word to the world. Hey, look, until I come to you and always lift up and make important and priority the word of God. Read it exhort it preach it declare it keep a watchful eye on the teaching of it like this is what's priority timothy as and you're like yeah but brady i'm not a preacher like you who said i'm special look i god called me to this but it doesn't mean that you can't preach the word to the world it doesn't mean that you don't declare god's word to the world just because I get up here on Sunday morning doesn't mean that I am, I'm not, I'm a human just like you. God just called me to do this every single week. And I am incredibly humbled and grateful for it. But you, church, we as believers are all called to preach the word of God to the world. He says this, and I want to just address it um, in case anybody has questions. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It's, Paul's not telling Timothy here that, that, that your actions save you. He's saying this. He's saying, hey, preach the gospel. And, and by so doing, every single day, we are reminded of the gospel. And as you preach it, you will not only hear it in your own heart, but others will as well church we're to preach the word and i will tell you this for as long as i get the privilege and the honor to be the pastor here this will be what is central on sunday morning as long as ricky is the worship pastor here we are going to sing songs about the word of god and about the gospel and as long as clint is the youth minister here he will teach the word of God to our students. And as long as Christine is our children's minister here, she will make sure that our children are memorizing and knowing and understanding the gospel according to the word of God. Oak Grove Baptist Church will not depart from the word of God. That's who we are. Because our hope is found here. Because the gospel is found here. Because all of our joy in life is found in the words of our King. In fact, you and I don't know the gospel outside of this. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, you, me, every single person to ever breathe has fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23 is going to tell us this, For the wages of that sin is death. So the thing that you deserve and that I deserve, according to the word of God, is death. And what is death? Death is eternal separation from God forever. But the greatest contraction in all of God's word. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That a gift has been presented to you as a sinner. In Jesus, the Son of God. And then Romans 5, 8 is going to tell us this. But God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, the free gift of Jesus Christ died for us. He died for you and for me. The, the, the book of Romans, God's word tells us that you're a sinner. And that sin gets you death. But God's given a gift in Jesus Christ that while you were a, still a sinner, enslaved to your sin, Christ died for those sins. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 is going to tell us this. Again, God's word. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You're a sinner, and you deserve death. And God gave a gift, and his son dying on the cross for your sins and for mine. And it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved Romans 10 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved this is the word of God and you and I don't know the gospel without it because what I presented to you is the gospel through God's word everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, I ask you, have you ever called on the name of the Lord? Maybe you have stumbled into this place and you're not really sure why you're here this morning or why you've been here for a couple of weeks. But can I tell you, just as Charles Spurgeon stumbled into a Methodist church in the 1800s, Turn 
to Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins and confess with your mouth that he did so and scripture tells you you will be saved. Church, for those of you that are believers here this morning, may we be faithful to teach the world, to demonstrate to the world, and to, to preach the word to the world. And may we be reminded that we can do just what I did every single day by opening up God's word and walking through the Romans to anyone we come in contact with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. For for the gospel, God. That we are all sinners and we are in need of a Savior. Father, your word lays it out that we are to, to believe in our heart that Jesus died for our sins and confess him with our mouth. And so right now, in these moments, if, if that's you, if you're here in these moments right now, and you say, I've never done that, but I, I want to, I'm just going to lead you in a quick prayer. It's just simply this. God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I confess him as the Lord of my life right now. Father, for those that, that may have said that right now for the first time, God, we praise your name because, Father, that's all it takes for us to be saved. So, Father, we lift high your name for that. Your word says that, that, that angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. And so God, we too join with that in the church and declare that you and you alone are worthy. Father, move in this time as we respond to your word. God, would you move in hearts? We love you, and it is in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.